First of all, the healed feminine is going to heal this planet. Not just women, the healed feminine, almost especially in men. Can I deviate away from my conditioned normalcy? And can I start looking at a much deeper intimacy? When you look inside your heart, you see that your heart really loves life and really embraces life and doesn't have that same fear and that that's really the, the source of your courage. You first travel into the shadow. How is that, how is that, how is that impacting my life? It really shifts the energy so quickly in the mind, in the body, it, because you're not dismissing, you're not fighting the ego, you're not fighting the small self. You're welcoming it in, but you're just saying, hey, I actually know what I want, and I'm choosing to change that for myself. Hey, Soul Family, this is your host, Nick Walker, and welcome to the Soul Food for Thought podcast, the hub of all things physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. The mission here is simple. How can we tap into our highest power and well-being as individuals and leverage that foundation to create more joy, freedom, love, fulfillment, and success? Not only for ourselves, but for the world at large. So today I'm excited to bring you Kevin Orris. Kevin is a speaker, a high-performance coach, an author, and a podcast host who focuses on masculinity, evolutionary psychology and philosophy, mysticism, sex, and language. So you can expect to hear a lot about that in this episode. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. So, Kevin, welcome to the show. Yeah, great to be here, Nick. Thanks for inviting me. So, I usually start with the question, who are you? But today I want to switch it up and I want to ask you, what is alive for you right now? Hmm. I mean, what's what's most alive for me right now is this, this amazing portal that the world is in. Um, I spent time yesterday just doing some ritual and meditating on this solstice and this, this great alignment that's happening that hasn't, well, that Saturn and Jupiter like this at zero degrees where they form the brightest star in the sky. I mean, it wasn't, it, last time it was visible, it was in the 1200s. So you can imagine, you know, what was happening then, like Europe literally breaking out of a dark age and entering the enlightenment, you know, it took, it took time, but that was a pivotal moment. And I actually believe we're in an echo of that time, you know, whether you believe in astrology or not, you know, I think there's a lot of wisdom in it. Um, But obviously horoscopes and the supermarket are are really silly, but at the same time, you know, time, we don't understand time. So all that to say, I believe we are in an echo of a new Renaissance, a golden age, if you will, a light age, and the world is, is heating up and, that's what's most alive for me is really feeling into that yesterday. I took um, almost all of yesterday offline, really sitting with that and sitting with myself and, and was fasting actually in, in preparation for that. Mm-hmm. 
That's beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing. And I feel like a lot of people could like, you know, easily discredit, you know, things like that, whether it's like astrology or whatever it may be, but I, I find validity in everything. And, you know, it's, it's definitely a very fine line between like giving your power to something else to, you know, whatever, but I do think it's interesting and it's fascinating and it's fun to really just explore all aspects of this entire experience and all these different perspectives. Totally. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you see people give their power away to something like astrology, numerology, you know, whatever it is, um, that's what like the marketers prey on, right? That's where like you see these like pop up ads around like, find your soulmate now, click here. But you know, the way I understand it is all of our ancestors followed the seasons and nature and they had cycles and calendars. And that's why the ancient Mayans, the ancient Chinese, the Indians, you know, even the, the, the Northern Native American tribes all followed this calendar and they followed it by watching the stars. So a lot of those wisdom keepers, there's massive gatherings happening right now all over the world at Uluru in Australia, all over South and Central America, you know, China here in Indonesia, like all the people that are tracking the stars and they're not selling anything. Um, they're all paying attention to this. So I, I, I pay attention to what they pay attention to because, you know, they, they're following an, an older model. Um, you know, our calendar and our, our ways and the technological mastery that, you know, you and I enjoy as being born in the West, it's very recent, very new. It's infantile if you look through time and through human culture. So uh, I hold both though, because I'm we're, yeah. we're obviously using Zoom and it's amazing. And the, the ancient ways have a lot of power that uh, it gets, you know, it gets brushed over a lot of the time in modern society. Absolutely. And throughout this conversation, I definitely want to talk to you about, to, to talk with you about kind of like the bridge between our technologies and these invented technologies and really navigating that area. However, I also feel that it's fair to share what's alive for me right now. Um, because for me this evening, there was, you know, like during this podcast, like there's emotion around the full embodiment of my expression. And that comes up whenever I'm podcasting sometimes, especially if there are other people in my environment. Because growing up, there was this from my understanding, looking back on my childhood and, and how I grew up, there was a reluctance to take up space. And a lot of my life has really been being able to step fully back into my power and not being afraid to take space, to be messy, to be natural and flexible in my expression. So <laughs> that felt good. Thanks for sharing that. And just opening my heart, you know. I'd say you're doing a great job with this podcast and what you're doing. So keep mm -hmm. going. Thank you, man. So I'm going to go ahead and ask my first question then, uh, or my second question. 
who are you? That's a great question. A lot more powerful of a question than what do you do, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, who am I is, you know, at my core, I am, a, I am, I see myself as a hero. And I think a healthy way to view oneself is heroic instead of how most people view themselves, even they don't call it this, is a victim, right? So a lot of people are living a victim mindset. So that's the first level is I, I do, see, I, I see myself as a hero. Um, not in some like cheesy Hollywood sense, but in a sense that I'm deeply interested in myself and, and the world. So I'm willing to confront and lean into parts that are unknown or um, uncomfortable or challenging. And so that's, that's where the other part comes in, whereas, you know, I'm really a storyteller. So my, my gifts, my life, you know, even as a little boy, like really just reading, writing, studying film, playing games, like anything I could find that had like a rich story and a rich narrative. Um, whether that was fantastical worlds and literature, whether that was in films and media, I mean, that's, that's where I lived and I loved to play. So that's, that's followed me all the way up until now where, you know, a big part of my journey through life has been learning language and learning how to use it in such a way and articulate reality in such a way to shape my own life. And obviously that's what I've been mostly concerned with, but now I can also shape I can help shape others' lives and really give context and narrative through the stories I tell, um, which also makes me a great salesman, which also makes me a great coach, which also makes me um, a great listener. Because to, to really tell a story and really tune in at a high level, you have to be able to listen at a deep level. So that's that goes hand in hand with that. Um, and the third level is, you know, I'm who am I? The third thing that comes up is, you know, I'm, I, I'm a leader and I'm not just, I'm not like, look at me, you know, guy in the front of the room, like, let's do this. I mean, I've done that, but a leader in the sense of, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do, and I'm interested in doing the things that will push myself and our species forward. And so that's how I end up working with leaders. I end up surrounding myself with other leaders of many types whether they're healers, coaches, business leaders, whether they're, you know, shamanic leaders or they're, you know, more earth medicinal, holistic healer types, you know, these people are all leaders and I see them as like the front line of our species. And it's not the people in Washington, you know, it's not the people in the Pentagon or the prime, the prime minister's office, you know, th those aren't leaders. Like those, those people have seized power. But my definition of a leader is someone who, you know, not only knows what is right and knows what is best for the people, for the species, the village, but actually does it. And those people are doing the opposite. So I actually don't even, I don't even see them as leaders. So mm -hmm. yes, I, I am a leader and I'm interested in building and evolving leaders. That's powerful, man. I totally resonate with you on the, on the piece of basically just understanding of just trying to understand everything, to understand energies and how everything is, how we're living within a system that's just like, it's just like a, a communication. You know what I mean? Like the entire thing and just trying to understand those dynamics and how we can actually channel them into something that is meaningful. Because for so much of my life, like I, I feel like I was just 
sitting there looking around and, and, and always just knowing that there was more, that there could be more to this, that more could be created. Um, and so that's super powerful, man. And so I'm curious to hear about some of the key experiences that have stood out for you, you know, as you started to awaken and really transcend some of your limiting beliefs and obstacles throughout your life. Yeah, I mean, so many pivotal points. I mean, a, a theme, a pivotal theme, and it's interesting. I've, I've been doing a lot of interviews this month, and so I've gotten to tell these stories over and over and over. And so as I tell them, I try to tell them in a new way, and I also notice themes. And a big theme of my life has been uh, minimalism and nomadism. So, you know, flashback to being in university, um, UT, Texas, Austin, um, you know, studying psychology and philosophy, I thought for sure that, you know, I was going to live there and become a professor, become a researcher, psychologist, and, and go down this PhD path that I've been kind of like hemmed into. Um, but that's where my awakening happened is in college. Um, long story short, I had been dating my high school sweetheart from high school, followed me to college, thought I was going to marry this woman super deep and find out she had been cheating on me. So at that point, I was very like conservative. I was a good Catholic. Like I was really trying to live into this, um, this mold that I had grown up in in my family there in Texas. And when I found out about her from my best friend, I, I knew it in my, I knew it in my heart. I already knew it, but my mind, my ego, my personality, like it was, it was a mind fuck. And it, it really rocked me to the point where like, you know, I got fully depressed, started drinking heavily, insomnia, like anxiety, like, and I'd never had any of these things before. Like they were foreign to me, but because I was studying psychology, I knew way too much about them. And I was able to diagnose myself and which made it much worse. And, it was at that moment that I, that I really got to taste for the first time. Okay. All the things that I was told matter, all the things that I put my energy and time into they actually don't matter to me because I could see how fast that I flipped and was just like, Whoa, like I lost interest in all of these different parts of my life at that time. Things like buying stuff, going out with certain people and like certain friend groups I completely released all these areas of my life. And that really sped up. And so a big awakening point is when I graduated in 2012 from, from college. Um, I made a decision. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust life and I'm, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Like that was like a radical moment. It's like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Like forget my professors, my parents, you know, all these mentors and people that had said, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this. And so that was a big, it was a big breaking point was uh, selling most of my stuff and moving to California because it involved quitting a job. I was, I was in a white collar job, like rising through the ranks after college. I was working in the university and I was applying to go to grad school. So there's all this stuff on the line and I had accrued all this stuff. I had a huge group of friends that loved me, but I, I gave it all up. And so sacrifice is another theme here. Um, and I've done that multiple times in my life because even after I moved to California, repeated the pattern again, got a job at the university, kept applying to grad school, new group of friends, amazing, beautiful home in, in, the, nor in the northern Santa Cruz, the Bay Area of California, and did it again. And this time I really did it where I sold everything that wouldn't fit in the backpack. 
And then I bought a one-way ticket to Asia. So traveling very light and letting go of a lot of things in my life, relationships, things, um, living places, status, and the railroad track of a career, um, I would say would be biggest, the biggest like catalyst and gifts of, of awakening. Mm -hmm. I draw a lot of parallels with your story because I feel like the more you get a taste of what your own freedom feels like, the more you, you almost have no choice. Like you almost have no choice, but to, but to follow the path that is in complete and utter alignment with that truth. And no matter how hard it is to let go of anything, like you just have to, um, but there's, but there's like this, um, there's almost like this calming certainty amidst the uncertainty. So for me, I'm in that exact same situation where I'm applying to grad schools in California. And, you know, I've, I'm blessed, you know, my entire life to, you know, be supported by a family who um, you could consider wealthy. And, you know, despite that, I had to tell my parents that I, I once I graduate from college, I, I, I can't be supported by them anymore. Um, and that was difficult for me, for me to do, but I knew that I had to do it. Like it, it could be very easy for me once I go to graduate school to still, you know, have their support, you know, financially and, and materially, but it's just not something that I can do because I know that if I'm, I, I can't be giving my power away in any area or else I, I consider that for me personally to be out of alignment because if I, I can't be, it's like my energy is like kind of being swayed by something, whether it's by an expectation or an opinion or, you know what I mean? It's kind of like I'm, I'm tied to something. Totally. I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. So I have many different questions here for you and many different directions we can go. I want to understand what a tantric way of living means to you. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a deep topic. And I first encountered tantra through philosophy. So I, I didn't know practice. I went into theory first, and that goes for a lot of things in my life. Um, now, for the West, most people, when they hear Tantra, they think, like, oh, you, like, last longer in bed, like, tantric sex positions and all this stuff. And, like, that's, that, is a, that is a part of it, and that's how it gets marketed and used. But, you know, Tantra, like, the word itself in Sanskrit just means to, like, transcend the self and become one with God. Like even tra, like in Sanskrit, which traces all the way through the Indo-European languages, is the same root as transcendence, you know, or transform, transcend. It's the same same root. So 
Tantra is really like, it's a union with God, AKA the universe, AKA the unified field. And there's many ways to do that. And so the original people who practiced Tantra were all about these practices, these, these ways of living that for like ascetics. So this wasn't for the guy in the marketplace. These people were practicing in caves and monasteries and mountain ashrams. And they were doing really radical things, you know, and they didn't leave out sexuality. So a, a strain of those, those teachings, and this was like ancient yogis. Like this was before yoga was systematized, you know, you don't really know. It's all, a lot of it's legend. Um, but when you, when you read even in the Vedas and in the Upanishads, the oldest texts in India, you know, they talk about a tantric path and they sometimes call it the left-hand path because some of the more traditional religious views in yoga and in Indian philosophy and Hinduism, um, it's the right-hand path in that it's, you know, it's very structured, it's ordered, it's what we would consider orthodox, whereas Tantra was considered unorthodox because it, it used more direct methods, it used the shamanic, it used the magical, and it used the sexual, so it doesn't leave out sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my training in Tantra and my, the way I came to it, besides philosophy, was really through um, the Osho lineage. So mm-hmm. um, if you've seen Wild Wild Country, you know all about Osho. And, um, you know, that documentary, is, which is incredible filmography, paints one story. Um, the actual man himself and the, the, w- the way he synergized a lot of teachings from East and West, I, I think is absolutely brilliant. And the actual practices he created, which were influenced by, you know, somatic therapy, bioenergetics, all these meditations he created were just, they're, they're incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. So I, when I went to India to study yoga, I also got an initiation into that because the guru there, the teacher was an Osho sannyasa. So I, I got that lineage as well. And then I went on to train with Elliot Hulse and his teacher who lived with Osho. Um, who was big into bioenergetics and this, this Reiki and breath work and, and meditation therapy. So that, that was my perspective on Tantra. And I've also studied like the sexual mastery parts of it because, you know, when I encountered that and I encountered that in actually the Taoist way of Tantra, um, that really blew my mind and, and it completely expanded how I looked at relationships and my body and everything. So you know, tantric way of living. And I teach Tantra in business relationships in all kinds of areas. And it's really, it's nothing fancy. Like you need to wear a white robe and, and go to this class and like eye gaze for a really long time. Like you, I mean, you, you can do all of that, but tantric way of being is just, it's, it's living holistic and integrated. So that means your sexuality, your creativity, your finances, your business and a brand, your relationship, your voice, the way you show up, to your body and your practices are all integrated and interwoven. So, you know, a way to illustrate it the opposite way, like it's not very tantric. And again, tantra is transcending the self so you can be in union with God or reality. You know, say you're making a million dollars and you have this epic brand and business and you're just crushing it, crushing it. But your relationship, your marriage is just in shambles. It's a joke. You know, you have premature ejaculation, you know, you you, you are completely cut off from nature. You know, that, that's not a tantric way of living, even though on paper you're living your best life, you know, for many people just seeing that from the outside looking in. So a tantric way of being is we want to wire up everything together. And that involves a lot of shadow work. That involves a lot of like facing yourself. It also involves a lot of surrender. 
there's a lot of surrender and bliss. It's bringing masculine and feminine parts together inside of yourself. So that means you're decisive, discerning, very logical, brought together with the heart and the mystery of your emotion and the mystery of, of relaxing into bliss and, and ecstasis or going beyond the self. So that's a, that's a brief overview mm-hmm. for that one. That's powerful, dude. I, um, so I'm reading Osho's book of secrets right now. If you've read it, that's it's incredible. Uh, yeah. And I, and I read the, um, you know, his pieces on Tantra and I, and I, I just like his understanding of it. of how he similar to, like you said, it's like getting rid of this division that we create in our reality. Um, and something that I've really been fascinated with is just this idea of how a lot of like my behaviors, like even like the benevolent ones, even the seemingly, um, you know, cause it's very easy to get get attached to these ideas. You know what I mean? That like the idea that I need something. So for example, like it could even be a desire to, or not necessarily a desire, but a, an oblig like an obligation energy an obligation to eat healthy food tonight for example whereas like i can do that but if there's resistance around me eating unhealthy food then i i then i'm still at some level not whole i'm not unified and for me i have to be equally comfortable with having that super unhealthy meal for example and so I just like his understanding of just like getting rid of all of that division and just being completely unified. Yeah, that's big work that we all get to do. Mm-hmm. So what are some actual like, are there actual like practices um, for I don't know if cultivating Tantra is the right word, but for like for like a tantric way of living, because it sounds to me that kind of like the opposite of yoga. Um, it's not as structured, really, you know? Yeah. I mean, in many ways, it is the opposite of yoga and the yoga we've been taught, which is highly structured, highly formal, masculine teaching. Um, and there's, there's, there's tantric yoga. And remember, yoga is not just asana. Yoga is like a whole body of different practices. Asana is one limb of the eight limbs of yoga, the, the, like the actual exercises we see. Um, so many of them are shared. Breathwork is a big one. So pranayama, breathwork is a, is a straight path into the transcendent state or into trance. Trance is also the same root as tantra, um, that shra. So that's one of my favorites. That's a huge practice. Um, there's various kriyas. If you know about Kundalini yoga, a lot of those can help you get into tantric ways of being as well. Um, meditation, any kind is going to help a lot. It doesn't have to be seated. It can be walking meditation. It can be open eye meditation. It can be running something that like you could actually go into as a meditation. You can make anything a meditation if you intend it to be. Um, dancing, singing, playing music, any kind of a creative expression instantly will take you into a tantric way if you go all in. So painting, drawing, sculpting, 
singing, writing, dancing, something that is like gonna like engage your creativity is a really beautiful way to enter into that. For a lot of people, dancing will be the easiest because um, we all dance when no one's watching to our favorite music. And if you really go into that and surrender to what's happening and, and, and keep going and keep going, you'll start to break into a state of freedom and bliss. And that's, that's what, it's what this game is all about. It's just like when you're a child, you know, a lot of the tantric stuff makes you more not childish, but childlike. And that's what a lot of Osha's teachings are about. It's like when we were kids, we, we didn't give a fuck. We were fully free and we were just expressing ourselves and we did all kinds of weird or, you know, un, unsocially acceptable stuff all the time. And the problem is, is we got punished or conditioned or told not to do that. And it started to shape us into these adults. But now our job is to really break out of that in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. And sexuality is a, is a direct path to Tantra. So whether you're even, you can do it with yourself and with a partner, it's a lot more fun. You can really bring like the same way you'd approach a yoga class or like a, a meditation where you bring so much presence and like, and so much awareness, like bringing that into the bedroom and, and bringing sensuality and creativity as well to a heightened point. And there's tons of like exercises and, and specific things you can do. And the internet will be happy to teach you all those mm -hmm. um, and probably sell you something too, but which is nothing inherently wrong with that. But sexuality is definitely one of the Royal roads to, to that state of being. And I think a lot of men and women in our world, in the, in the communities of personal development are now paying a lot of attention to that because now it's kind of gotten past the point where it's just some weird Indian sex cult. And maybe, you know, even watching wild, wild country, you know, you can see how the people reacted to that stuff in the 60s, 70s and 80s, you know, they, they freaked out and called it the devil's work. And it's like, you know, the culture, the mainstream culture, why Tantra is even necessary is because of how repressed we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like caught up in the maze of the mind. And it's like, yeah. I mean, like the other day, like I had a point where like, I was so caught up in my mind that I had no choice but to surrender into my body. Cause like, like there were, there were just, it's kind of like all of these programs, all of these conflicting ideas and perspectives and judgments just had like reached like an intersection. And at this intersection, like you couldn't, like you just couldn't even go any further without the mind imploding into my body and then i was like oh like this is what i wanted the entire time like <laughs> there's no answer in my mind that's going to bring me to this you know yeah so and and so you've done men's work too correct yeah so i'm curious what have been some of your your biggest takeaways from doing men's work yeah, men's work's really beautiful and it's it's a really powerful path that kind of it, it shows me. I mean, obviously I, I needed it and um, something that you know I, I was aware of and I was calling in, but also just life brought it straight to my door um, many years ago. But the basic idea in men's work is you know, we're recreating rites of passage and rituals of initiation for men, which we've lost completely in Western society. In any, any tribal village, any ancestral setting, all of our ancestors did this. You would take the boys when they became too much for their mother and help them 
cross the bridge into adulthood, into manhood. And this could be a hunt. It could be a vision quest. It could be an ordeal. It could be combat. It could be a wilderness survival. It could be plant medicine ceremony. Um, there's many forms it takes. Now, a lot of those forms were dangerous and people did die. And that was, that was, the, that was the level of stakes a lot of these tribes were playing at because it was survival. Um, nowadays, you know, we have beautiful communities like the Mankind Project, like Sacred Sons, which I've done a lot of work with, um, who are doing this over, the, over like weekend retreats or sometimes week-long intensives with men and boys. And, you know, the, the biggest takeaways from that work, Nicholas, are, I mean, first off, you can't do this stuff just in, in your normal work or in your normal like setting. So you can't, you can't, you can't address deep masculine pain, whether that's around your mother or father, whether that's around violence or abuse or trauma that's stored in your body, whether that's around um, any huge trapped emotion because men have been told suck it up don't be a pussy rub dirt in it all these societal things that are given to men um, which has created a very very toxic situation um, now i want to be clear there's no such thing as toxic masculinity I, I hate when i hear that word and the mainstream culture and media has just used that in the worst ways masculinity is masculinity that's like saying there's toxic sunlight like it makes no fucking sense. There's men who are expressing abusive, narcissistic, toxic behavior, but that doesn't mean there's toxic masculinity. Um, so that that's an absurd notion that has caused a lot of it's a lot of confusion. A lot of these men that come to these retreats, and I've been facilitating and receiving this work many times, and men are just confused. They're confused about how to relate to their girlfriends and wives. They're confused about how to relate to other men. They're confused about what to do with their pain when society is telling them to be more feminine or to, to shut up and, and just stuff it or to just be a good worker. So men's work is about releasing this shame, blame, guilt and coming back to true masculine power. And we do that through a lot of methods. There's a lot of different methodologies, but um, you know, the tried and true methods work, the hero's journey, you know? the initiation, the confrontation with the darkness and then the resurrection. And so that's what we, that's what we've done. Um, really with sacred sons, which I would highly recommend to anyone. They have a global community now, especially in the United States of online and in-person resources and, you know, using deep shadow work and, and somatic therapy, using breath work, cold water immersion, um, using wilderness survival, leadership, skill training, um, using nature itself, and also the, the plants. I mean, plant medicine is part of this as well, where, you know, whether it's cacao or combo, men, men are served by nature and brought into connection with themselves. You know, some of these men for the first time in their lives, because they've never taken up space and helped being vulnerable around other men, or, or actually just shown their, their most ugly, vulnerable parts and these wounds to other men and have that met in um in a circle so i mean it's it's incredible work i i predict it just exploding like not only in the number of people but in the demand and like the market economics because it's just it's time it's time to do this work there's men everywhere all over the world i'm now connected from my book because my co-authors are in europe with the european men's movement as well and you know these guys are crushing it there's a huge movement over there in europe 
Um, it's going to be worldwide. The same way we look at yoga and, and eating healthy and organic produce, that one day men, men and women's work um, will be important to, to see on that scale. And, you know, I know there's somebody maybe in your audience, and, and this comes up all the time um, when I'm podcasting, of like, well, why does it need to be men's work, you know? Why can't men and women just do it together? And what if a woman identifies as a man? And it's like, you know, yes. Like I, I personally, in a lot of these organizations, am fully inclusive of like the LBGTQ plus community and, and all different configurations of gender. That's not the issue. But the issue is, is it's a masculine space because some things can only be healed in connection with other men. And that's just nature. Like there's no way to you know, language that or like change that, that's, that it just, it's what's effective. And it's the same with women. Some things can only be met and healed with the feminine and with just women. So it's worth saying that because like someone might ask like, well, why do we need men's work? Why do we just need work? It's like, again, this isn't something we invented. This is millions of years old with human beings supporting human beings. And they happen to be men and women and they happen to be doing it separately so that they can come back together in a healthy dynamic. Mm -hmm. That's super powerful, man. I, um, I'm very fortunate to have started at a men's group a couple of weeks ago. And really like one of my biggest takeaways from it thus far is just really finding it within me to like be and speak from my core instead of all of these and like actually filtering through all of these ideas that I have and really just tearing, like tearing all of that away and just finding like what is left beneath everything. And something also that's interesting about what you said about the, the, uh, the masculine and the feminine dynamic and why um, it could be conflicting if it was like conjoined is like, I feel like at least within me, there's something about the challenge. There's something about being challenged by other men that it, it almost triggers something within me, you know? Yeah. And men thrive on that. That's needed. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so how have you like truly been able to harness your energy and to filter it into, or to channel it into creating a life that you want to create? Like what are like some practical and intuitive methods and, and, and ideologies and just ways of going about that deliberate and conscious creation within your life? Yeah, I mean, first thing that comes up is like knowing how to harness energy and move it. So a lot of that is like morning routine or some kind of discipline or practice. Um, you know, this is what I teach in my online course, Flow State Mastery, you know, the six top practices that I've used and I teach to clients that work they get results, meditation, breath work, affirmation and visualization, self-hypnosis, reading and writing, 
tantric practice, which we talked about, and movement and fasting. So, you know, that's a, that's a super quick list, but that's a big part of the game is understanding how to work with your body and your energy and move energy. And so a lot of people get stuck because they're missing, you know, some, some practice like that, or they're, or they're depending on the outside world to give them that practice. Um, maybe they're dependent on um, a gym or a group or a trainer or whatever. And that those, all those things are amazing. But when you make it your own and customize it and really tune in with what works for you, I mean, the sky's the limit. That's when your power really starts to come online and you really get to step into this mastery. Um, but really above and beyond that, the, the biggest thing that has enabled me to get to where I am today is just following my bliss. And it sounds fucking cliche. And I know it's not what probably you or a lot of people want to hear because it's like, well, how do you do that? And what does that mean? It's like, you know, Joseph Campbell said it. He was the great, you know, author and scholar around the hero's journey. And I, I really do see my life as an adventure and as a journey, if you will, as a, as a video game. So there's always options and choices in front of me. And if I'm playing the game of life, if I'm playing this adventure, if I'm, if I'm a heroic entity, which I believe I am, I believe we all are, um, it's just, are you going to actually embody it? Then anything that's out of alignment, like you were saying earlier, like anything out of obligation or guilt or anything that you're forcing yourself to do, anything that's creating resistance, unnecessary resistance. So resistance is natural, but unnecessary, unnatural resistance, you know, again, sacrifice. My ability to sacrifice quickly and identify quickly things I need to let go of, things I need to change or pivot, and then be able to flow with that and go into surrender, into the feminine yin of like, okay, this is the void. I'm okay with this. Like, I don't need to fight. And then when it's time again, go full decisive and back into control and discipline. That dance has enabled me to move through careers, through relationships, through the world as a nomad um, really well. And then not a lot is stuck into my field or not a lot has like slowed me down because of that mindset. So you talk about mindset or ideology, um, the willingness to sacrifice, the willingness to change, the willingness to change the mind and, and and be open to what's on the other side. I mean, I highly, highly recommend studying your dreams and synchronicities as well. That's a big part of my path has been listening to the unknown, the quantum field. I mean, Dr. Joe Dispenza and a lot of the quantum physics out there in that community are now, you know, this isn't even woo-woo anymore. This is mathematical, literally. Mm -hmm. We're all connected, literally. We're in a field of unified awareness and unified energy so you know that doesn't mean it's just atoms and like on these cool documentaries you watch on netflix about physics that means it's actually happening right now so that means what i think affects reality and that also means when reality is speaking to me when a coincidence happens coincidence is a spell it's a word that isn't real there's no such thing it's language it's just you know, any sufficient power of nature looks like magic and superstition to man because we don't have context for it yet. So call it omens, call it synchronicity, 
um, call it divine guidance, whatever, that's really important to listen to. And that's part of why I feel like I've been able to trust and, and, and lean into a lot of processes that I've seen others get stuck in. That also is what makes me a great coach and mentor because I've conducted such radical surrender experiments in my life that when someone else is struggling with one, um, assuming that I've gone beyond it, I can, I can help them up. I can help them through it. Um, and that being said, you know, I'm, I'm a student. So that's another big mindset that's really served me is like, I know that I know nothing and I'm, and I'm always willing to learn new information, even if it's really painful because it conflicts with information I thought was true for me. So being a student and being very hungry to learn and to gather data and to experience life um, is probably the ultimate way to live, I, I believe. Yeah, I love that, dude. It's like what stands out to me is basically like um, an underlying sense of flexibility in which you pretty much at every opportunity open yourself to communicate with your world. And through that, like you said, of that gathering the data, well, then it's clear that you, it's clear in the way that in which you should proceed, uh, proceed, you know, which way of proceeding would be in my highest good, which path would be my bliss. So that's powerful. Um, so two more questions for you, man. One, what is your vision for a new earth? You know, like, what are you, like, what do you want to see? That's a great question. Um, I mean, first let's go to the practicals. I want to see a new earth and I, and I believe this, I don't know when it's going to happen. I really trust it'll happen in our lifetimes, Nicholas, but I'm not attached to that because things do take time. We're in a time of quantum leaps, but who knows how long it'll take the full global civilization to get on board. But, you know, I'm talking about clean food systems. So the highest quality organic permaculturally grown, like real food, not all this toxic bullshit that has been sold as food um, available to everyone. And that means everyone's probably growing food. And we have massive, highly advanced permaculture, highly technical as well, growing systems, clean water for everyone. It's actually absolutely absurd that people die because they don't have clean water. And that's, that's insane because inside the earth alone, you know, forget about the ocean. We don't need to desalinate the ocean. The ocean's doing what it's doing. Um, inside the earth, there's so much fresh water in the ice caps. There's so much fresh water. And there's a way to do that in balance with the earth, clean energy. So whether this is zero point fields, which Tesla laid out for us over a hundred years ago, whether this is, you know, using the, the free energy from nature, geo, solar, thermal, you know, wind, um, we, we got it. We got to upgrade our energy game and that's what the new earth is going to be about. Um, now, as far as governance, I don't know what it looks like, but I know it might look like, and it probably will look like a circle instead of a pyramid. So the pyramid scheme of like full hierarchy and, and dominance through violence, war and militaristic power, and also through money, through a fake money system. Um, we'll go back to the circle, which is the sacred hoop of life that all indigenous have lived in. So that will look like the council. It will look like, um, instead of hierarchy, it'll look like holarchy. 
So a holon or a holarchy is like a fractal where, you know, at every level there's, there's a leader and there's leadership, but the leadership is again, malleable and flexible in a circle. So it's not about let's build up this unaccessible compartmentalized hierarchy that creates a lot of pain and deception, but everything's brought into connection. So there's more transparency, there's real integrity and values, human values, not values around greed and all these other things and violence. So that's what governance will look like. Now, what's really fascinating is what will money look like? And I'm really excited. I'm a huge proponent and have been investing in cryptocurrency, you know, for six years now. I, I, I'm highly optimistic that cryptocurrency will be a bridge. Bitcoin will be a bridge into a new type of currency and monetary system that's not based on deception and debt. So, so the, our current system is literally based on debt. Um, debt creates money. Money creates debt. It, it's a mind fuck. Not, not for this podcast. Do your own research. But the monetary system of exchange, which is just store of value, which is just trust. It's just trust. We're just trading trust. Hey, I trust you and I do this, that you're going to do this. Okay, great. Let's use a symbol for that. That's what money is. So we need a new system for that. There's a lot of different ways it could go, but in a, I, I like to think of it as sacred economics. If you read the work of Charles Eisenstein, he lays all this out. Um, I would highly, highly recommend cryptocurrency for right now because it's the best bet. But in, the, in the, my vision of the new earth, you know, we'll have a, a currency that actually serves nature and serves life. So we won't have things like Jeff Bezos with like $900 billion and then his employees are on food stamps. Like that, that, that's just like, that's an abomination. It doesn't even make sense. Now, do I want to get rid of capitalism and like, and, and competition and market dynamics? Yes. And so there's a way that we can use like, you know, science technology is driven by competition and innovation, but does it have to be at someone's expense? So the, the real, the meta narrative and, and Buckminster Fuller talks a lot about this, highly recommend his work is we're moving from a, a zero sum game to a positive sum game on all of these levels, governance, religion, economics, society, sexuality, you know, energy, food, water in a zero sum game, somebody loses. And that's the world we're living in right now. Unfortunately, there are, there are literally children dying every day of curable diseases and they're losing just because they happen to be born into these countries that are being basically economically steamrolled or in some way steamrolled by other countries. And, it, and it's, it's sad that, that that's the sign of a dying civilization. That makes no sense. A positive sum game is like, okay, instead of I win, you lose, it's I win and you win. And we all win actually. When I win, you win, and then the world wins. And that's how nature works. That's how an ecosystem works. So the new earth will have to, it's not even an option at this point. And that's what this alignment is heralding, by the way. Saturn and Jupiter at zero degrees Aquarius, we're literally entering a new age. We're entering an age of progress for everyone, humanitarian values, universal peace and technology for earth, for nature. So we don't have a choice. It's either do this or perish. And evolution speaks clearly, you know. I don't think our species... Um, is going to mature just on its own. Like we need struggle. We need some, we need some like pressure to, to really make these changes. And the good news is that we already have all these technologies. 
I believe we've had all these technologies for a long time. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. What we need is, is governance, leadership, and energy, and really the mass consciousness of the people. This is why media is so important. It's the battleground. It's the front line to shift. Mm-hmm. And we'll start being able to create and see this earth actually manifest. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I appreciate you being a part of that. You know, like you stepping up as a conscious leader because that's what it takes. Um, and so finally, my last question for you is what to you, Kevin, is the meaning of life? You know, one level, the meaning of life, Nicholas, is to give life meaning as humans, as storytellers, as heroes. Um, but I actually, I, I think, you know, that's, that's kind of a, kind of a postmodern way to look at it. Um, I'm on a more existential level, what I believe a life is, like human life and all life, the life of a star, the life of a bean sprout, of a fish, all this energy that we see around us in this beautiful dance of life. It's it's to manifest love and 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 love as in evolution, love's in there, revolution which is the overthrowing of old systems, the creating of the new, but in a peaceful way where where it's just manifesting more of itself, manifesting the the spark of divine creativity, manifesting God, whatever you think that is, God, goddess, the universe, all that is, that's what life's doing. And and it's just doing it. So us as humans are like, well, what's the meaning of all this? Why, Why is this here? It's like, like watch, listen, look, use your senses. And if you look at nature, you'll see what it's doing. And that's the meaning. Like creating too much meaning above that and creating all these ideologies. And, you know, this is how we get jihads and pogroms and crusades and violence. It's like people start to disagree about what the meaning is. When the meaning is evident, it's in, it's, it, as you observe it, you'll see the meaning. Right. Yeah, I find that whenever you diminish all these filters and these programs like so often i'll have these epiphanies i'll be like this is crazy like the like just like this is crazy like nothing in particular but just like my mere existence in this body like just just trying to understand that is incredible totally so kevin i really appreciate you being on the show my brother Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Nicholas. Really grateful. Mm -hmm. All right. Talk to you soon. Ciao.